welcome to the Connected Communication Podcast, the show which explores how much of communication is nature and how much is nurture, sharing speaking secrets along the way. I'm your host, Christine Molani. Living is giving. The words of my guest this week on the Communication Through the Ages series. He has spent the past 22 years teaching martial arts to a wide range of students and uh, a wide range of ages, from four-year-olds to individuals in their 70s. Working with such a diverse group has challenged him to adjust his teaching and communication approaches to different ages through the ages of his teaching in order to meet their unique learning requirements and needs. His mm, excitement about coming on the podcast today was connected with happiness and not the pursuit of happiness, but finding happiness in what we're doing in the moment. It's a great honour to welcome you today to the podcast, Mark. Thank you very much for being here. You're welcome. It's great to be with you. Mark and I met in a podcast. Was it a podcast group or Rob.team? Uh, I believe it was Rob.team. It was the Rob.team yeah. group when Mark asked a question about podcasting and I mentioned the podcasting group that I'm in and gave a couple of thoughts on ways to approach it. So then we got chatting and he agreed, if I dare say somewhat reluctantly at the beginning, <laughs> to come on to the podcast. Um, maybe later we could explore a little bit why the reluctance was there. But before we come to that, let's go back to martial arts and teaching martial arts through the ages. What brought you into martial arts in the first place? Um, it was something I was always interested in, really. Um, and I saw an advertisement on a poster in school. And that was my first sort of point of contact um, for martial arts. And then I think around about the same time as well, my cousin was also, had just started taking martial arts. And being perfectly honest, um, I just wanted to wear the uniform. Oh. <laughs> I, I love, I love... I love wearing uniforms. So I, I, I saw the martial arts uniform and I saw what he was doing and I thought to myself, yeah, I I want to give that a go. Um, so, yeah, in all honesty, it was it was because I wanted to wear the uniform. Wow. OK. Um, so when you say when we say maybe martial arts and uniform, I'm guessing we should probably define the type of or style of martial arts and the uniform, because I know like there's a white one in in. Uh, Japanese martial arts in, in Shotokan anyway was a white one that I had but then it's black in Kenpo so can you define maybe the martial arts you're speaking about and the uniform? Yeah of course so we we teach Shukukai uh, Shukukai Karate and like you like you said traditionally it's white uniforms um, we've modernised it nowadays so um Students will start off in their white uniforms and then when they get to a certain level, um, they can then start to wear black uniforms. Oh. Um, when they join what, what we call is um, the Black Belt Club. Um, and basically it's just a way of, um, of setting that goal for Black Belt. So a beginner will, will wear a white uniform and then after about 12 months of training, if they're enjoying their training and obviously they're finding it a value and they want 
they want to proceed and go forward on the journey towards black belt, then they can wear a black uniform. And it just represents really that they're, you know, they've set that goal for black belt and that they're committed to the journey and the, you know, the peaks and the troughs that, that come with that training. Okay, very interesting. So I'm hearing there a little bit about getting people into motivation, into commitment and dedicating themselves to what they have chosen yeah. as, a, as a technique or a sport. Absolutely. Ah, oh, I love that. It's very interesting when we think about that design of a reward that you seem to have created, bringing the person towards that reward state, away from the threat state and getting excited about something that's coming for them in the future. Do you apply that to your teaching techniques as well? I would say so. Um, I mean, we, we very much make it around, centered around the journey, not the destination. So, you know, the day-to-day, the, 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 the day-to-day -day journey is, is the reward. Um, I always try and tell my students that the the journey is the reward, you know, not the destination. Because when you get to the destination, the destination changes. You know, you you set that goal for black belt, for example. Um, last weekend on Saturday, I had a couple of my students achieve their black belt, which was fantastic. So they they've been training with us for five years, five five and a half years. Um, they, you know, they trained all the way through COVID, which was incredible on online, and we can talk about that later. But so after five and a half years of training, you know, they they achieved their black belt. But then it's the the brain is an amazing thing. You know, you achieve a goal, and then the moment you achieve a goal, you lose a goal. So your brain goes, "Great, I've achieved that goal. What now?" And it's like, "Well, can you give me a minute?" You know, after five and a half years, you know, I've committed myself. So. I think if you enjoy the journey, it's 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 more rewarding and satisfying than than the destination. The destination's great, but then you've just got to constantly set a new destination, I think. Wow, that's really powerful. Definitely makes me think about what I mentioned before we started recording, the Camino and really just taking each step every day enjoying the journey towards the destination not making the destination the most important thing i love it fantastic you also mentioned there a focus in on taking that time to recognize achieving the goal before maybe necessarily setting another one giving the brain a chance to, uh, by saying hang on a second i've just got here can I look around for a moment and feel it? Yeah. So would you emphasize that as well in, in your training? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, um, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer in, in savoring the moments where possible. Because I, 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 think, um, I think life's an accumulation of, of these small moments that we should savor. And if you miss those moments, then you miss a lot of happiness and joy, I feel. So yeah, so you know, you achieve that big goal, enjoy it, celebrate it, let it, you know, let you know, sort, sort of digest it, absorb it. And then when you feel ready and you're like, yeah, okay, I'm ready, ready for the next goal now, ready for the next challenge. 
Just giving that a pause to let that settle with listeners there because I really firmly believe in what you have just said and agree with you. I think there is too much focus today on what's next, what's next, what's next. Right, you've got there, go. Dive into the next thing. And people don't allow themselves time, as you say, to celebrate, to recognise, mm. to acknowledge. But also, when we flip it a little bit, to heal. If they've come out of something challenging or difficult, to step back and say, okay, I don't need to jump into the rat race and keep going. Yeah. Really really powerful absolutely so let's think then of 22 years ago in getting into martial arts so i'm guessing you didn't get straight into teaching you began as a trainee yes yes okay. yeah so obviously uh, I, I know you've got some previous experience from <clears throat> in martial arts so yeah of course i mean you start off as everyone does as a, as a white belt and then um you know, when you're ready, then you progress up the grades through through the ranks from from white through to to black. So, I was, I think I was just off black belt, um, and then the the head instructor of the organisation who used to come in and do our gradings for for my particular club at the time, um, I, I think he saw something in in me, and and it was a friend of mine at the time. And he approached my instructor at the time and he asked if um, if it would be okay with her if we were to go over to his dojo and start doing some teaching or volunteering at the time it was. It was actually called the SWAT team. Special winning attitude team it was. We've changed it. Oh, wow. <laughs> but yeah, so, so it was called that. And, um, and, I, and I'm, I'm very grateful actually for her at the time, allowing me to do that and my friend because she could have very easily said no and um, kept us for kept her for ourselves, so so to speak. Um, but there wasn't any opportunity there at the time, so she she very uh, very graceful, gracefully let us go over to that dojo and uh, and start helping out. And I think we were there for about eight months. And then we got offered a, a, a job and then I started teaching for them as an assistant instructor for about six, six to eight months. I think I was there, maybe longer. I can't remember, it was a long time ago. And then uh, at the time, the, the, uh, the instructor had a, a smaller club in a different area. So he used to take us over there twice a week to teach, teach that class. And um, we slowly, well, I uh, we slowly built it up, and then um, and then he gave me the opportunity to to actually buy it, to buy the club, so I, I bought it, uh, and then I and then I've just built it up ever since over, um, you know, over the years. Okay, okay, so that's your club. It's Mark John Lynn's Martial Arts. That's the the title of your club, isn't that right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> I I could I could change the name if I wanted to to Mark Shipperus's Black Bolt Academy, but um I don't know. I've 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 always been I've always taken my ego out of things. I, I don't I, I don't think there's anything wrong with it, but I just um I've just kept the name and the students that come training, I, I would like to think they come training partly because of me. 
um, because of the service we provide them. I, I think the name above the door is, isn't necessarily as important. Okay, so I, I was going to ask if that was a, a name that had linked to you in the past and you changed your surname or something like that. So that's just the original name of the, the club, is it? Yeah, so that was my instructor's okay. name. That was my, that wow. is my instructor's name, sorry, because, um, you know, we're still associated with each other. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so my instructor's name was um, was John Lynn, or is John Lynn. And um, he, he opened the clubs originally and then... Mm. Um, his uh, his plan was to, to to move abroad, so I I bought it and uh, I've I've had it ever since. Fantastic! And you said something I think quite important there. You've always tried to take the ego out of things. Yeah, a lot of people would have changed that name and brought it in to themselves or made it more about themselves. Yeah. So when you think about ego and your teaching and the communication in your teaching, what will come up for you there? that you might like to share about separating ego uh, when communicating? I think someone told me a long time ago that students, I have to make sure I get this right, um, students don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So you could be the most experienced instructor in the world. You know, you could be a world champion and be on TV and, and all this. But if you don't care enough about the students to make them good, then you're not going to keep students. You're not going to help students. So my teaching approach is always about them, never about me, about helping them and and. Again, someone told me a long time ago that the job of an instructor or job of a teacher is to make the student better than them, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I think if you can do that, then that automatically takes the ego out of it because anyone who um, is, 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 is driven by the ego, you know, won't allow that to happen. But don't get me wrong, you know, I, th I think the ego has its place in, in certain certain aspects. You know, it's it's that balance, isn't it? You know, um, yep. it's there to, I think, to a certain degree, it's there to keep you safe as well. Yeah. And so if someone's listening to this and they're not sure what you mean, or maybe they're feeling triggered because in the world today, a lot of people say, no, ego, ego is bad, ego is the enemy. What would you say to them if that's coming up for them right now? I would say that definitely the, the ego isn't um, isn't bad. Um, I think you just have to choose which part of that voice inside your head that you listen to and think to yourself, is this going to serve me and, and help me or, you know, or isn't it? You know, because a lot of choices you make sometimes in life can be ego driven. And from experience in the past, when I've made decisions or rash impulses on that, that, that I've, um, you, you, you know, that I've done through the ego, it usually hasn't gone anywhere nice. You know, it hasn't ended up where I thought it would end up. Um, 
So yeah, I, I, I would just say, you know, don't discard the ego because then you, you're pushing a part of yourself down that is always going to be with you. And I was speaking to someone the other day and they said, we were talking about this actually. And they were saying that, you know, maybe instead of trying to reject that voice inside your head, may, maybe just try and um, say to it, you know, okay, I, I, I understand what you're trying to do. I understand that you're trying to help me. Let's Let's work together to see if we can figure this out together rather than, you know, you know, making rash, rash impulses. Wow. Wow. And that applies, you know, to all forms of communication because for professionals that I deal with working in big organisations, they have to deal with or work with big egos sometimes mm -hmm. in boardrooms and that mindset that approach when dealing with either your internal ego or someone else's external ego opens up the possibility of communication incredibly. Okay, I recognize this person is operating from ego. What's gonna benefit me here? What will serve me? What do they need? And how can we find a way to work this out together? Generally, with that approach to a communication engagement, you get a lot further than you would, as you said, operating from rash decisions. Yeah. And, and maybe putting up a wall. Wow. So when we think about your teaching then, you, you were training for a few years, you began teaching, and you look back at, so that was what, 17, 16, 17 years ago. What has changed for you over the years in terms of teaching, what you notice about communication in teaching, <laughs> how people listen and learn, what are the key things that you've you've noticed? That's an interesting question. Um, I, I would say, I, I, w I would say it's changed to a certain degree. Um, I, I, f I found over the years that um, children, particularly, the um, the attention span isn't isn't quite as quite as long as it used to be. Um, I have to. Our classes have shortened and um, we used to hold, um, well, originally the classes were an hour and a half um, and then they went down to an hour and now they're 45 minutes. Wow. Uh, and I find that's a good amount of time for children to hold their attention. Hmm. And we have to simplify. I, I, f I find we have to make things a lot easier and explain it a lot simpler nowadays to children than than I did maybe, um, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think I think a part of that nowadays, I, I don't know, is, is maybe the fact that there's just so many other distractions, um, you know, when when I started training, we had, well, when I was, I was 12, um, you know, I, I think mobile phones were just becoming popular um, in the early 90s. Mm. Um, 
I know they've been around a bit longer, but I think they'll just be, be becoming popular. I mean, I never had one, um, but there was mobiles and that that you know when I when I wasn't in school, we only really had television, and most of the time we spent playing out and getting out in the fresh air, and mm. you just didn't have as much choice as you've got nowadays. And I, and I think nowadays children have. They they have so much choice, um, and so and and sometimes it's the easiest choice, isn't it? Because I think we all like to choose the easy things sometimes. So now you know children have tablets and phones and and all these different devices, and uh, I I noticed that attention spans are definitely getting a little bit shorter in the children, um, which is having an effect when it comes to. You know, physical things like like teaching martial arts. So I, I would say I would say we've definitely had to simplify things a lot, a lot more over the years. Hmm. Um, what comes up for me there? My neuroscience brain is starting to, uh, what's the word? Turn now. <laughs> it's not turning very well. Clearly, I can't think of the word. <laughs> um, somebody said to me earlier on, the cogs turn very fast in, in your head. So what's happening for me now is I'm wondering. What difference have you noticed, if any, between the speed of acquisition of simplified learning versus how long it took them to learn when it was more complex? They definitely acquire the techniques faster. Now it's simplified. Hmm. Um, it's certainly a lot easier to teach. It takes a little bit of the stress of teaching out of it. It makes it more enjoyable for the children. And I think that when when a child picks something up relatively swiftly, um, that leads to a higher enjoyment level. And with that comes motivation. And then with that motivation comes further enjoyment and then with that further enjoyment comes further motivation and, and it's just that cycle mm. um, which which leads to success, I think. Um, and you've, you've also got to remember as well why, why are these children or these adults or whoever it is, why are they learning what they're learning? What's the, what's the end goal with it? What's the intention? So for a child, for example, if we are teaching them um, things that are going to improve their coordination and their balance and their focus and their concentration. These are things that are going to help them for a long time. So I would much rather teach them a simpler technique that they're going to remember for the rest of their life and actually be able to apply if need be than teach them something super complicated that they've got to almost um, cram in and swat up on and find it hard to retain that information to then forget it. You know, it it it, it always reminds me of the the uh, the high school exam sort of environment. That's what you're making me think of. You know, um, I, I mean, I I didn't actually do my exams, but um, but but I teach a lot of teenagers that are going through their exams presently or have just been through it, mm -hmm. and they they come into class and they're so stressed because they're cramming this information in 
And, you know, I, I mean, I'm not going to take a, a personal opinion on it, but the thing is that they cram it for that test and then half of it gets forgotten. Um, so I would much rather teach things that aren't going to get forgotten and that are easier. And when it comes to self-defence as well, I mean, you have to make it easy because then you add in the the stress the stress of the situation if you do get attacked and the adrenaline and you know what it's like, all the cognitive functions go out the window when, when you're stressed. So you have to make it muscle memory. And sometimes yes. the easiest way to do that is by um, keeping it simple and then just drilling it. Absolutely. It's funny you say that. I've done self-defense a couple of times and a few different things, but I've often then gone home or if I've been out and recognized maybe I'm somewhere that could be slightly dangerous, mm-hmm. I say to myself, OK, yeah, you know, the ideally what the things are to do, but you've got to think of now what you do if you panic. What will you do if you panic? Generally, it's not necessarily the techniques that I learned. I get a little bit more animalistic in my brain (laughs) and start thinking about survival. But I I love what you say there. It really sounds like the truth is in the words, you know, that you adapt to needs, firstly, of the individual, but also needs over time and recognize how the brains, the, the energies and the requirements of your students are changing throughout the years. Yeah. What about for older people? Anything you've noticed there? Maybe even since the last couple of years where we've had lockdown and, you know, brains and mindsets have significantly changed since people have been able to come back out. Any particular things you've noticed there? I wouldn't say quite as much with the adults um, because I think a lot of it, I mean, a, a proportion of the adults were obviously maintaining work and things like that. So they were kind of going about their day for the most part. Um, so from, from a training point of view, I would, I, I would probably just say the only difference I've seen maybe is in coordination. The the, the coordination of students maybe is diminished a little bit. So we're having to spend a little bit more time on that. Um, That's very interesting. What do you think is causing that? Um, I I don't know, really. I mean, I I suppose, you know, if if people weren't maybe very active before lockdown and then during Mm. lockdown... You know, they weren't exercising or moving as much as maybe they're used to. Um, they, you know, they, they, they weren't socialising quite as much and engaging quite as much. So the brain probably wasn't getting as much of a of a workout, so to speak. Um, so the, the, you know, the motor skills and the, the, the coordination, I think, maybe um, suffered a little bit. That's fascinating. I'm going to go Googling that now after we talk. <laughs> but it, it is, it makes me think a little bit about the kind of the mouse. So at the moment I'm getting physio done because I'm sitting for the past two year, few years too much at the laptop. And I'm also left-handed. So am I. Well, so, Kittogs, the two of us. <laughs> I, 
Here's ego for you now. I used to have on my door. My grandmother bought me a sign once. Everyone is born right-handed. Only the greatest overcome it. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. (laughs) But balanced ego. Yeah. So the world is bid for right-handed people then. Anyone who's left-handed listening will also understand this, that the mouse goes in my right hand. I do sometimes switch it to my left to try to practice and improve my movement, but also to play with my brain a little bit. So I think what you're saying there about coordination is, is fascinating. Maybe it's come from that stationary setting that we've been put in for the past few years and only using one side of the body. Wow. You mentioned a few minutes ago, well, at some point, maybe not particularly a few minutes ago, and just as we start to come to a close, before we do, I'd love to ask you about online training. And I'm guessing the shift to that during lockdowns, you moved to offering training online when you weren't allowed to have classes face-to-face, is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, obviously your series is on on communication and I was very, I think we were very fortunate to to have social media, you know, during lockdown because we were in a, we were able to go on to Zoom during lockdown, um, as many you know, as many clubs did, and for us, it, it's not only saved our business, but more importantly, it gave our students a focus during lockdown. You know, so for example, when we came back from lockdown. You know, all my students, you know, they'd been training in the martial arts for two years online. You know, the classes were the same. They were slightly shortened. But in terms of fitness and coordination and um, I would like to think mental health to a certain degree, um, you know, they they bounced back from it. Wow. Fantastic. Really so you were good. still able to give that gift of learning, of training, of development, because, as you say, of social media, because of Zoom, and therefore then it's a positive thing, the the technological changes for you, is it, in terms of communication? Um, Again, I I, I take a balanced view on that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think used in the right way and and used in um, in, um, in balance, your moderation. I, I I think there's there's nothing wrong with with technology and social media, um, but you've definitely got to balance it. But particularly for children, um, because that's what I'm experiencing at the moment. Particularly with my own daughter, is is okay. trying to balance this screen time because they that you know they're just um, that they, they have so much choice and they're just on their screens all the time. So you just got to be very careful. So if your parent were listening to this and they're thinking about communicating maybe with their kids about reducing screen time or getting them into a sport or into something like martial arts, a practice, would there be any tips you might be able to give them before we, we've come to a close? Um, oh, that's a good, that's a good question. Um, I, I, would, I would definitely say get your child into some kind of activity. Um, because, you know, movement, you know, movement is just fantastic for so many things, physically and mentally. And it definitely can offset a lot of the sitting down and the, 
you know the screen time but with 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 the screen time you know moderate it and uh, monitor it sorry and and also allocate a good amount of time and then communicate with your child that you know why why they've only allowed this amount of screen time um give them notice if they're coming off it because you know if you say to a child right come off your phone they usually are, sometimes they can you know um get frustrated whereas if you say to them right you know 10 minutes um come off your phone it usually makes it a little bit easier um so yeah just um just find a balance with it and try and encourage encourage other things maybe instead of the screen time yeah yeah i think actually that advice could apply to the adult just as easily as it can apply to an adult working with a child <laughs> yeah definitely those of us out there i do the same I, i'll put my phone in different rooms in different places and okay you have to do this now the ballots could probably be better yeah <laughs> it's funny you should say that because i've always it, it's strange i've always said that um if i if i didn't have the the academy i i I more than likely wouldn't have a phone. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, I prefer to talk to people. Yeah, um, I get you completely on that. Because my business is online, I'm online. But Of course. I'm happy to disconnect, switch it off and yeah. leave it for a day. I come to you with a brief interlude, listeners. Mark and I actually recorded this episode on two different occasions. The reason why, you'll hear me explain when I welcome us back together on our second meeting. as the episode continues now in a moment. In our second meeting, Mark shared much more about his life experience, having cancer as a young boy, his mindset and attitude, identification as an introvert and what that might mean for people today, as well as some of his own thoughts and advice on how he helps his martial arts students and others with their own life experience. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the second part. We've come back together for a reason, because we started off quite gently, slowly, and in a manner which was as comfortable for you as possible. Because we had a conversation in advance of us meeting, we'd never met before, where you revealed how you feel about doing interviews and your uh, maybe if I could call it how your identification in, in yourself and, and your approach to the world and communication. Can we explore that a little bit today? Absolutely. That's why I'm here. All right. Super. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And I do think it's an important thing. You you mentioned to me in one of our first messages that you are an introvert or you see yourself as, as being quite introverted. What does that mean for you? But for me, really, it's about the way I use my energy and the way I recharge my energy. Um, so being an introvert to me is is about, it's a very um, internal process. Uh, obviously, my, my thought processes and my, um, the, the, the way I use, like I said, the way I use my energy and recharge my energy, um, it's it's all about the internal and uh, about needing about needing alone time really um, to to recharge. It's it's not so much about being 
not wanting to socialize or be around people or anything like that. I can be very social at times and and I, I would class myself as having a very, I suppose, extroverted job being a martial arts instructor. You know, I've got to be on stage a lot and I've got to be the leader and be in front of a lot of people. Um, but I, I think at my core, I'm, I'm definitely, um, I'm definitely introverted. It, it takes its toll on me to a certain degree, so I do need that time to, to recharge and and and, and be by myself really. Um, so for me, introversion is is, it, it's just about where we get our energy and our joy from. For a lot of people, it's being being around others. Um, for me. Um, it's I, I like spending a lot. I like spending time um, on on my own to reflect and process. Um, I wouldn't like to be on my own all the time. And um, I, I, I know for a lot of introverts, they like being on their own all the time. For for me, I need a, I need a little bit of balance, you know. So I could not be around my wife and my daughter, um, but I, I certainly need a lot more. Um, time to myself than, than maybe other other people do. Yeah. You know, I, I think these words, I'm really glad we're talking about this, actually, if I can say that first of all, and, and thanks for coming on to talk about it. What, what do you think about the, the connotation of the words introvert and extrovert? I think, I think there's, there's many different shades of introverts and extroverts, you, you can't, you can't, um, th- th- there's not a, a, a one size fits all for, for people's um, personalities and characters. I, I, I think we're all, we're all the product of our life experiences mm-hmm. and, you know, what, what's happened to us. And, um, you know, you, you can get, you, you can get different, I don't like to use the word variety, but different types of introverts, you can get different types of extroverts. Um, some introverts are very can be very social. Um, some people are some introverts don't like to be to be social. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's 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 a very difficult one to categorize, really. Um, Agreed. Yeah. Um, you know, I I don't even though I like you said I um I um. I can't remember what the word you used now was, so, but but you know I call myself an introvert. Yeah. Um, there, there, there's many different aspects to that for me, right? And, okay. you know, as, a, as an introvert, right? So what what do you mean when you say many different aspects? Well, like I said, when the, the, people don't necessarily always understand what an introvert is, they just mm-hmm. assume it's a shy person. Um, I'm not shy. Um, and I, I think that's again that that's because of the life I've led. Um, even though I am an introvert, I I like to stretch myself and expand myself from a personal personal growth point of view because I know that where I want to go in life, I need to I need to stretch myself. And if I just stay in my comfort zone, I'm not going to get where where I want to be. So the socialising side of it, you know, um, I I you know networking and things like that. I I kind of stretch myself to do because mm. I um, I know it's part of my 
you know, my, my growth in life. Yeah. Yeah. I posted this week on social media and actually I nearly sent you the article and then I thought, oh, I'll talk to him about it on Friday instead. Okay. Uh, they have apparently discovered what I would identify as. And they're calling it a lone sigma wolf. So, you know, we have this whole lone wolf concept, the person yeah. who, who likes to go it alone. That's what I would have identified myself as. I, I'm certainly someone who much prefers my time alone over time with people. Mm-hmm. But 80, 80 plus percent of my time, I prefer yeah. to be alone. I find it very hard to be with people all the time, mm-hmm. as you say, because it's it's tiring for me and I need to regenerate and, and recharge. But I also have to protect myself when I'm with people. I, I set boundaries for my energy that I don't let people in. Yeah. But this article was the lone sigma male wolf as opposed to the lone alpha wolf. Mm-hmm. The difference being more or less that the lone alpha wolf is competitive, wants to be on top, wants shiny beautiful things and is likes material goods and, and likes to be the winner. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Sigma is the opposite, likes kind of more minimalism. I wouldn't say I love minimalism in a kitchen now, I'll be honest. <laughs> I like a good full kitchen, but, but doesn't need, have a need for material goods to shine, to be better than everybody else. Yes they measure themselves by their own internal success. It's not about yes. the, the external success, external success, should I say. Now, I don't identify as male. I identify <laughs> as female. So I had of a problem course. with this, of course. Yes. But I wonder, what do you think of, of all of these concepts, right? Oh, you're introverted. Oh, you're extroverted. Oh, you're an ambivert. So you're a bit of both. You're a lone male wolf sigma. You're a lone male wolf alpha. I don't know what the female example is or... or what, what do you say if a child comes up to you in your martial arts class? They're 10 years old. Yeah. And they are. I have no idea what my identity is. I, I like being on my own, but sometimes I play with my friends. The world is trying to box me and they're confused. How do yes. you how do you reply to that? My my advice to that person would be don't don't ever categorize yourself and don't ever label yourself. Over the years teaching martial arts, I've had lots of parents come to me and say, my child's this and my child's that. And the thing is that when you give a label to somebody, particularly a child, they, 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 it almost becomes them because you're calling them that label. You know, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy, isn't it? You know, so I've had parents bring their children to me before and say, you know, oh, they're they're misbehaving because they've got ADHD, for example. But they're good as gold for me. You know, and it's because I give them boundaries and we have discipline in the class and I show respect to them and they know where their line is. And... I think to myself, no, I'm not going to categorise you as this or that or the other. Um, So I I, I try my best not to categorise people. I do think, though, it's important to understand yourself. And if 
if having a term for that makes you happier, then I don't see a I don't see a problem in it. Um, because everyone's got personal beliefs, haven't they? I mean, I I don't mind the word introvert. Um, I also I don't really what's the the right word? I don't I don't like to say I don't care. I think that's a bit harsh. Um, but I okay. I suppose the word is I don't care. And um, what other people think? So if people think, oh, he's an introvert, um, then that's fine by me. Um, I don't like the word because linked to the word introvert is highly sensitive person. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I don't really agree with that. Um, right. I don't like, uh, I don't know. I don't like to label myself as a highly sensitive person. Um, but um, yeah, I, I would say, I, I would say to that person, you know, just be you and just go off what you, what you feel inside really. And, and don't let other people's opinions um, influence you. So what would you say then for you is the difference between a highly sensitive person and an introvert? I love that distinction that you've made here. Again, a, a, an introvert is, in my opinion, uh, and I can, all, I, I can only um, relate it to, to me. Sure. Um, and, and I think that's another good point to make about being an introvert as well is, because it's very internal, mm-hmm. you you are relating it to me, you know, not what everybody else is doing to me. So, like I said, you know, for me, being an introvert is just someone who who, who needs to recharge, um, recharge with alone time. I think I think I, t- I I watched something the other day on on YouTube. I think it was um, oh. Simon Sinek, I think, mm. I think what's we saying. Yeah. Um, and he gave, gave a great definition of, of being an introvert. I don't know if, if they were his words or somebody else's words, but they said, he said, an introvert is someone that starts off the day with five coins. And for every interaction he has with others, he, he loses a coin, you know, he spends a coin. And by the end of the day, he's completely wiped because he spent all, you know, he spent all those coins or used all those coins. Whereas an extrovert goes the other way. They start their day without any coins and every interaction um, kind of fuels them and energizes them and, and, and they kind of receive, you know, they, they kind of receive a coin. Um, and I thought that was a good analogy because that's when introvert does every interaction, it kind of it uses their energy. So that's why they need that alone time to to recharge. But a highly sensitive person is just someone that's very, very sensitive to their environment, mm. you know, to sounds, to feelings. Introverts are very, can be very empathic as well. So they're very sensitive to the feelings of others as well. Um, again, again, I don't personally like, like, the, like the word highly sensitive person, um, but I am sensitive to other people's emotions and particularly facial expressions and moods i can pick up on that quite quite easily is that a defense thing do you think that you don't like highly sensitive as a term 100 percent. all right okay 100 percent. okay i i would agree with that yeah um right. it's just you know um I don't, I don't know. It's just a, just a, I suppose it's just a personal thing. Okay. I don't know if it's, I don't know. And again, I have, I have to um, check my ego on that as well. You know, I have to, I have to, um, 
to look at my ego for that because um yeah um highly sensitive person yeah it's um it's a it's a, it's a good one that yeah, yeah. I, I, it is a good one i'm glad you raised it when i was coming out of this difficult relationship at the end of 2021 yes i was in survival mode all the time my brain was constantly felt like it was in threat and i started to look up this highly sensitive person i've always been empathic since yeah. I was a child, but I was so sensitive to everything around me that I thought I I was now this highly sensitive person. And okay, maybe it's maybe it's a superpower as opposed to it being something else. And I started to yes. look it up and learn about it. And I did some work with a couple of people who identify as highly sensitive. But as I healed, my mind, my heart and my soul, or my spirit, whatever way we want to call it, I began to settle. Yes. So I was less in survival mode. The sounds that I heard around me didn't shock me and surprise me as much anymore because I was back in safety. Yes. So I think that highly sensitive can be something which maybe can come from when we're very young, and we learn it from whatever environments we live in. And it can be re-triggered then as we become adults in other environments. Or yeah. we learn it as adults in threatening situations. Would you agree with that? Or Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and I think <clears throat> sometimes as well, whatever, go, uh, whatever is going on in your life mm. can, can affect your emotions and your, um, your, you know, your senses, really. So if you're... If, like you said, if you've just come out of a difficult relationship or, you know, you've got a lot of stress in your life, you're going to be more, you're going to be more sensitive to, to your environment, uh, you know, a hundred percent. So, yeah, I would, I would, I would definitely agree with that. And I, and I think when you've got, when your life is in balance and like you said, you feel safe and you feel secure, you're not quite as aware of what's going on around you i think it goes back to that fight or flight doesn't it mm. you know, when yeah. you're in that fl- uh, fight situation you know everything is heightened so you, yeah exactly you you know you you you're on you're on alert all the time so you, you're going to be aware of these things absolutely yeah um, but going back to what you said that there are definitely advantages to it like mm-hmm. you said the the empathy side of it reading people's body language. Um, you know, I, I always can tell if a, me- if a member of mine or a student of mine comes into the academy and they've had a bad day, I can I can spot it straight away. So it makes me, you know, it, it makes me a better teacher. Um, sometimes I've got to remind myself not to take it personally if they come in, you know, and they, they look like they've had a bad day. Sometimes yeah. I, I feel I, I take it personally, but I remind myself that, you know, um, it's 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 not personal to me, you know. If they've if they've had a bad day, I can just do my best to to teach the best class I can. Absolutely, uh, really important, and not just from you as a, a teacher in that perspective, but for anybody like this who wants to be the person who makes another happy or can sense the emotions in another to recognize one they don't necessarily want me to sense their emotions and tell them what I sense. That's what I, a lesson I had to learn. Yes. If they, they want to ask me about it and talk about it, fine. 
but I don't go and tell them, oh, you're feeling like this, what's going on? <laughs> because no. that's a, a boundary breach. Yeah. But that, that it's also not not us. It's not personal. Yes. It's exactly professional or it's personal for them. I don't need to take it personally for me. That's great, great thinking there and advice for anybody who might be listening. So as an introvert then, uh, do you think this has developed over your lifetime or were you quite quiet and shy as a child not shy sorry let's not use that word because it doesn't mean you're shy and I know it doesn't mean you're shy because I'm the same (laughs) (laughs) Um, were you were you quiet did you need that that alone time as a child as well or did it develop throughout your lifetime I've been thinking about this a lot recently um but particularly as I got older um I mean you know I'm only 40 years old but um I I again being an introvert, um I'm very self-reflective. Um and and a lot of the a lot of the time it's for the positive, but sometimes it can be for the negative as well. You know, sometimes I I, I look back on my life and I think, wow, I blinked and and I and I am where I am. And you know, it seems literally yesterday since I was 10 years old or 15 years old or six years old. And sometimes I look back and I think, where, you know, where is that gone? Um, and I have to remind myself a lot to live in the presence because I don't know if it's an introverted thing or if it's just a me thing. But sometimes I can get myself into a state where a mental state, not a, a physical state, where I'm I reflect on the past or I reflect on the future, and you can't do anything about those. You know, the past has been, the future's yet to come. You know, all you can do is live in the moment. That's, you know, the present is a gift, isn't it? That's why it's called a present. So you can only live in the present. But going back to what you said, I, yeah, I was, ref- I have been thinking a lot recently about, about my past and what, what kind of child I was. And um, I was thinking about it last night, actually, in preparation for today, thinking, have I always been like this? Um I remember my mum telling me when I was younger, I was very outgoing. Um, whenever she used to pick me up from the schoolyard, it was always my voice. She could hear sort of bossing everyone around <laughs> as a child. Um, and we used to travel a lot to Malta because my dad's Maltese. So um, I was never afraid to go and talk to somebody. Um, you know, and my mum had to rein me in sometimes. Um and it made me think, well, it started to make me doubt myself, to be honest, that, well, I, I'm, am I an introvert? Aren't I an introvert? Um, and, and, then I, and then I thought to myself, no, because having that ability to be social and put myself out there doesn't mean I'm not an introvert. Um, it just means that I have that ability to, to do it if I need it. Um, but when you're a child, you've got boundless energy, haven't you? You know, um, it depends on your child. So, so I, w- I wouldn't say it's a, it's a very difficult one. I'm trying. I'm really I've been been thinking really hard to recall. Um, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say I was a very, um, you, you know, a very loud sort of outgoing child. I would definitely say I was more of a reserved thinker. Um, but I, I like to, I also like to, um, you know, I, well, not like to, I wasn't afraid to go and 
speak to other children or uh, play, you know, play or things like that. So it's quite a difficult question to answer, really. I think if if you want me to be completely honest, um, as you know, we, we've spoken previously about this, and I don't mind talking about it now, but when I was 12, I had cancer. I was diagnosed with leukemia at 12 years old. Um, and I think that definitely probably had a bit of an impact on on my life um, in terms of um, maybe going to going within myself. Yeah. Um, so I, I think maybe that that probably had a bit of an effect, but I wouldn't say that was the catalyst for making me an introvert, if that makes sense. Um, it's always it, been inside me. Yeah, it, it does. It- for me, as somebody who hasn't experienced that, and thank you for sharing that and, and opening up about it, my brain would think, well, wow, that must have had such an incredible impact on your life and changed it in so many different ways. But yet you're saying that well, maybe it didn't. Can you can you talk about it a little bit more just to help me understand, I don't know, how that didn't have... The impact that my brain thinks that it would have had at 12 years of age to, to experience that. Um, how can I? Just trying to think the best way to explain it, really. Um, it's best comes I, out for you. <laughs> I, I've, all, I've always been a person that's just got on with things. Mm. Um, I've always believed that it's your attitude towards things that is is the most important, the most important thing. So... When I was ill, I, I just kind of got on with it. Um, I've, I've, I, I don't know if it's, because I know we're talking about introversion. I don't know if it's an introverted thing or if it's just my nature. I'm a very, I, I try to take a very logical, practical approach to things. And, and I just did that when I was ill. Um, so they asked me as part of treatment, I don't want to go off, off topic too much yeah, go go wherever um, it goes it, it is we don't have to hold fixed and fast to anything it's the universe decides or the flow of conversation decides it, as long as you're comfortable talking yeah. about it I'm, I'm happy to hear yeah yeah so um as part of the treatment they give you the option um for the chemotherapy they they ask you do you want um I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was, it was a long time ago. But um, do you want, I think it was five intensive lumbar punches over like a fortnightly basis? So what they do is they give you a lumbar puncher and then I think it's a week or two later, they give you another lumbar puncher and then they they do it over five five lumbar punches or something like that. I can't remember exactly how many I had. Um, Or do you want to spread it out over a longer course, the treatment? Well, in my head, straight away, I thought, well, more intensity is going to be better to, you know, to destroy the the cancer. So I just, I just decided there and then, well, I'll have, I'll have the four, I think it was four intensive lumbar punches. Um, So I just took a logical approach on it and I just, I just had them. Um, Twelve years age, age. Yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, so, so going back to did 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 it make an impact on me? Um, I don't know really. I, I I think I've never really thought about it. I don't know if it's a defense mechanism or 
I've just got on with it. Um, but I, I definitely think it's had a repercussion on me um, mentally. Mm. And um, with my, my, it definitely had a, an impact on my outlook on life, 100%. Um, my belief is always now after going through that. I mean, just briefly, we when it happened, um, do you want me to explain that? Or Absolutely, yeah. Like yeah, I say, so- there's no restriction on, on what you want to say here. Absolutely yeah. none at all, as long as you're comfortable. Yeah, of course. So basically, it was a Sunday evening. Um, I'd actually, I had a friend over for, for a sleepover that night. Um, and that Sunday evening, um, my friend was sleeping on the floor next to me. Um, and I was obviously in my bed. And um, I couldn't sleep. Just, just could not sleep. And, and I, I'm a person who loves my sleep. I've never had any problem with that at all. But I just couldn't sleep all night. I was tossing and turning. And for, for whatever reason, I just couldn't fall asleep. Um, I think it, I, I don't think it helped the fact that my friend was a big snorer as well. I've just, just remembered. So he was snoring. So I went into the, um, the lounge and got on the sofa and, and, and eventually fell asleep. But the next day in school, about lunchtime, I just got a really bad stomach ache. Um, didn't really think much of it at the, at the time, but I, I knew it was it was bothering me. It was enough to to go to the uh, high school reception and, and ask them to call my mum because it was bothering me. So they called my mum. I went home on the on the Monday, um, and then uh, I just 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 didn't feel well, and I just slowly deteriorated over a course uh, over a course of, of I think it was about five four or five days. Um, so I think it was the day after my mum called the doctor and she, and the doctor actually said, oh, it's just a pulled muscle because mm. I was very active. Um, it's just a pulled, pulled muscle. Um, didn't think anything of it. So they left it another couple of days. I deteriorated. Um, and then they called, my mum called another doctor and he came out and took one look at me, felt my, felt my stomach. Um, and then immediately called an ambulance, um, and then I w- and then I ended up in hospital. Then, but they said had it had it have, had I have been left another sort of forty eight hours, then I probably wouldn't have, you know, I probably wouldn't have made it. Wow. Um, so obviously, looking back, that's had a big impact on my life. So now I just my my opinion, my my outlook on life is that you only get one life, don't you? And you really. And I know it's a bit cliche to say, and people say, oh, you know, you only get one life, make the most of it. But you really do only get one life and you really do have to make the most of it because after going through that, one of my biggest things in life is I don't want to look back in my life with the regrets, um, especially after being given that second chance. So so I really do, you know, I, I really do want to make the most of my life. So when I look back, I can say, well, yeah, okay, I've I've done what I wanted to do. And um w- without going too deep, dying doesn't scare me. It's not living that mm. scary. Mm. And that's another gift, just like that yeah. present that you talked about. Mm. To fear yeah. not living. Yeah. And and live every day. Wow. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing. I do think it's it was very important. And for people to hear. That incredible resilience, incredible strength at 12 years of age and your attitude. So, so they said, 
you're not sure whether it was in your nature or or where it came from. But at 12 years of age, to be that determined and have that attitude, have you any idea where it came from? Or do you think you were always like that? Or, or something else? I'm giving you two options I, there as if they're the only two. I, I don't I don't know, really. I, I think... I think a big part of it is is, is just my just my character is 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 just who I am. Now I don't know whether whether you would say that is being an introvert. Um, I can't. I know obviously the topic of the conversation is about communication and introversion, but I don't know if I can put it all down to being an introvert. I, I think it's just it's just who I am. Um. You know, I think I think a lot of it is to do with the fact that being introverted, you internalize a lot and you reflect and and you know you can be very logical in in, in many senses. Um, but then obviously part of it is just just who I am. I think. So this does bring us round again to those terms and the labels. And yeah, you know, we set the conversation before we talked today about it being about communication and you and, and communication and introversion for you to give you that settled space so that you had something in your mind you could prepare for where the conversation goes when I speak to people <laughs> is about the questions that I ask and the answers that you're open to giving. So yes. I really do mean it when I say thank you firstly for sharing and it's fine for it to go wherever it goes. Okay. But it goes back again, and I'm trying, no, I'm not trying very hard <laughs> to, <laughs> to not put my, my position on it. But I am, like you mentioned earlier on, somebody who doesn't like labels. I accept the label Christine as my name. <laughs> I told you I, de- I identify as female. <laughs> but box me, tell me I'm a yellow person of five vowels and six consonants, E, F, T, G, P, Z, Y. And and I have a big problem with it because what I am depends on whom I'm speaking to, the environment that I'm in, my energy of the day, the experience that I've had, so many different factors. Yes. So am I an introvert? No. Am I an extrovert? No. Sometimes can I be introverted? Yeah. Sometimes can I be extroverted? Yeah. So when you say, I don't know if it's introversion, that I'm logical, I just have this attitude. What would you say if I put to you that those words are just labels and we accept them or we don't as labels, but that the way that you show up in the world is just the way that you show up in the world and that everybody shows up differently. I would agree. I'd agree with that. Yeah, hundred percent. So, what about that attitude then? If you're talking to somebody again, because you teach a lot of kids, I know you have adults as well. You're helping shape thinking. Yes. I hear my voice scratching a little bit. I've done quite a few interviews this week, so I'm sorry. I'm a bit scratchy. Again, you have a kid who comes to you maybe in their early teens because teenage years can be difficult, you know, or younger, whatever. And they're having trouble at home or they're having trouble at school. They're maybe appearing to be a little bit victim-like or their mindset could do with a bit of support and development in terms of that attitude of acceptance, but then getting on with it. How do you help them? 
it's it's a very difficult one because there's there's so many external influences nowadays for the younger generation that that we never had um so i i i've seen quite I've I've had people with quite a, a few challenges over the years, um, and I wouldn't dream to to um, to express my opinion on 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 why that's probably happening. And I can see it from the outside, but I would I would never dream of of saying it to them. I, again, I can only go back to my my own belief system, and that is, I would say to them, "You do you." Just, just be who, um, be who you want to be, and love yourself because there's, 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 there's no greater love for, for the the love for yourself, and this is something I always try to impact on my daughter. Is if you love yourself, then it doesn't matter what other people think or say. Um, as long as you're not doing any harm to others or you're going out your way to, um, you know, upset anybody. Um, I'm, I have always been of the belief of I, I will do me, you do you. Um, if you need me, I'm there for you. But I'm not going to involve myself in your life. Please don't involve yourself in my life. And if that comes across selfish, then it is it is what it is. Um, because what I don't like to do is I don't like to let external influences affect me. So I just I just do me. Mm. Um, I I love me. I I, lo- I love who I I love me as you know I, I'm happy with me. Mm. Um, and I don't mean that from an egotistical point of view. Um, I just mean that I feel that I am enough. Um, so it's that's what I want to try and influence my daughter to be. Because the thing is, when you, it's when you don't love yourself, and it's when you don't, when you're not happy with who you are as a person. This is where the problems tend to arise in people. And, you know, you, you know, the, the things like, you know, anorexia and, and, and things like this that you see in the youngsters today. And it's because of the external influences that they see on social media and magazines. And and it's very, it's 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 very dangerous and it, it does. I, I do get sad by it because they just need to l- l- love themselves and just just be who they are. Yeah, I, uh, wisdom is. <laughs> I believe what we're hearing here. I agree with you so completely. And something came up for me when you were saying that as someone who has had this journey of discovery and having to reflect and recognize where at times I stopped loving myself and putting myself first and allowed another person to shape my thinking in some way yeah, because I wasn't focusing and aware of my thinking at the time. 
it's really important for people to start being aware of this. Mm-hmm. I saw an article this morning that I think is relevant to what you're saying. And I just want to think for a second because it bugged me. Oh, yeah. It was about not oversharing. And this guy who's got a million followers on TikTok and 2.2 million on Instagram and is telling people the typical things that have been told to people for years. Stop saying um and ah. Don't overshare when you're communicating with people. Now, I understand, of course, there are boundaries and, and we have to be mindful of what we land on people and in what situations at times, because it it can be too much for some. But there's also a responsibility on the listener to say, that's too much for me. Yes. I don't want to hear this now. Thanks very much. Like you said. Oh, yes. You, you do. You. Uh, what do you think of this? Trying to tell people five ways to stop oversharing. Can I reflect on that and get back to you in a week? No, I'm only joking. <laughs> okay. So I think... I think you have to overshare maybe with the right person. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's definitely, it, if, if you overshare with the wrong person, it, it's not going to have any effect. Um, then what you're doing then is you're just offloading rather than oversharing. Um, if you overshare with the right person, maybe a person that can help you or, or, or offer you some advice or at least be someone to listen to you, um, I think oversharing is 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 perfectly fine, um, but I think you have to overshare with the right person. Um, if you overshare, you know, let's say for example, you just overshare with a complete stranger, um, or someone you've just met. Well, okay, you've overshared. You've 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 maybe got got that issue off your chest temporarily, but again, this is me coming back to a logical mindset. Um, it's probably not going to benefit you besides that temporary, uh, besides the temporary um, sort of, um, can't get my words out, you know, the the, the temporary moment where you, you get that off your chest. Mm. Um, oversharing with the right person, I think, is absolutely no problems at all. Mm. See, I wonder on this, and this is a genuine conversation here to, to listeners this has just been come up and Mark might give out to me afterwards for landing this on him <laughs> but uh, the, the reason I feel so passionately about it is because when I was in that mental state coming out of the relationship yeah. I never thought firstly that I would ever get there I never thought my confidence could be so low mm-hmm. I never thought that I would allow myself to experience the things that I did to say yes in those occasions when I wanted to say no, it just if I, I shocked myself, yeah, by where I ended up, but it allowed me to learn a new compassion for people who end up there. Yes, but in, when it comes to sharing, then I recognised that there were times during that period, after just when I was getting ready to leave and after I left, that I shared in environments that now I might with my logical brain, look at it and think that might not have been appropriate. But my mind at the time was not capable mm-hmm. of discerning what was appropriate or not. I just needed somebody to listen. Yes. And so the reason I feel 
some of this advice can be dangerous to people is because sometimes someone is going through so much at home that they break. And if they break in an environment that's not appropriate, but they feel safe enough to break and they share. Yes. And the people on the other side of it look at them and think, that's not appropriate. What are you doing that here for? Shut down and maybe back in 10 more years of abuse because they, they, they said something, but everybody else made it unsafe. Yes. So this is where I'm coming from on it. What, what do you think of, of that? My thinking on that then? I, I, I would say, I would say you're absolutely right. I, I think, I mean, it, it depends, first of all, what you're oversharing. You know, mm-hmm. if, if you're just oversharing your day-to-day, you know, stresses of, you know, your boss at work, for example, then it doesn't maybe really matter so much. But if, if you're oversharing serious, important things, um, and again, this is just me personally, I, I would say share with the people or the environments that you feel safe in, um, you know, and, and, and I think you, you, I think we know those, those, those people, don't we? I would say when I was there, I, I sometimes no, sometimes no. I just, you're in such panic sometimes yeah. that if there's a tiny feeling that you can be saved, a little bit that you might just risk sharing or it might all just spill out or things might spill out. And even in a workplace or, or a martial arts classroom, or I had a, a speech and drama class one day and a, one of the kids came to me at the end of it and said that they had had a friend who had committed suicide. So I should probably have given a trigger warning there in, in the, maybe I'll put a trigger warning in here on this conversation actually, because we do go a little bit, deep on some things um she was very young she'd experienced two or three different suicides Mm -hmm. and her mind was was racing and she just threw it all at me I hadn't taught her I hadn't seen her for years I was covering a class for my mom and she needed that she needed that moment she needed that environment to be able to just release and feel safe and feel heard so I, for me, it's about the workplace. You know, people say, right, you're in a meeting or you're in a whatever at work and it's not appropriate to suddenly blurt out I'm being abused or something's happening at home. Mm-hmm. I would be, I would argue that if that happens in a workplace, that rather than saying that's not appropriate and shutting it down, there's always somebody trained in the room to say, I'm really glad that you felt safe enough to share that here. Absolutely. Let's let's take it outside and have a chat, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, sorry, when I said before about um, sharing with an environment you feel safe in, um, I was I was thinking of it from from the individual's point of view, you know, for their safety. Yeah. Me, for example. Um, Whenever a person comes to me, um, and if they if they overshare or, or offload, if I get the slightest inclination, inc- I can't even say it, you know, um, that they're in distress, I I will immediately talk to them. Yeah. 
Um, I've got I have got no problem. One hundred twenty percent of people offloading with me. Wouldn't surprise you know, me. It, it's not a personal thing. I mean, I'm just thinking. I'm always trying to think of the other from the other person's perspective. I'm trying to think. Well, if this person offloads in this environment where it's not safe for them, mm. it could actually it could actually actually be detrimental to them. Yeah, uh, that that's what I'm thinking. I mean, if they're if they're off loading or, or or oversharing in a in a work environment or a friendship group or a family um then more than likely like you said there's going to be someone there that can offer offer support um not so sure in the workplace all the time but i i'm reflecting on what you say and yeah i i hear you and i i think that is an important comment when i think back to that mental state even if you're you, you're you're in that survival mode and and you're feeling panic or feeling threat, just take a second and recognize the person that you're speaking to. Yeah, or that you're about to release to. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and the reason why I feel that's so important, Christine, is when a lot of people are in that that very low low space, that dark space. You don't know what comments another person can make that mm. might just tip them over the edge. Yeah. You know, so if 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 they come to somebody and they offload, you know, and it, it's something very serious, and the other person isn't empathic or sim- sympathetic to to them, and they just come out with something like, "Oh, just get over it," you know, yeah, you know, the grand, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, that, yeah, that yeah. can have a serious effect on that person, you know, and you don't know where they're going to take that. So, you know, you, you, you've, you've got to be very careful, I think. But like you said, though, some, sometimes you just need to just get it out there. Yeah. It, it is a difficult one. It is. It is. And thanks for talking about it and, and going back and forth, because really that's all this is, is just our thinking yeah. on it from our own perspective and experiences. And that's all we can speak from, as you've, yeah, you've identified a number of times. So, uh, wow. I'm not sure if the conversation went where you thought it was going to go, but I hope you enjoyed it. It's been so great to have you back today. I've really appreciated you coming back. Thank you very much. Just one more point as well, um, when yeah. you were talking about, um, I, I read a, a book years ago by um, Deepak Chopra. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, I think it's like the A to Z of spiritual um, awareness or something along those lines. It's easy to search up online. Um, but the S in there was for selfishness. And it was very profound when I read it because the way he defines it is being selfish is just coming from a place of self. Um, and as long as that's not impacting anyone in, in a negative negative way, if if you're thinking of your health and your wellness and your you know, your your mental well-being, um, there, there shouldn't be anything wrong with that. And, and I think a lot of people, they get labelled as selfish. Um, and and I, I think it's used in the wrong word. I always say it's coming from a place of self, which is which is very important. That's fabulous. Yeah. What a, what a fantastic note to end us on. The line comes to my head, when you say no to others, you're saying yes to yourself. Yes. And it is okay to do that because if we constantly say yes to others and say no to ourselves, 
we can't say yes for a very long time. So if people want to reach you, if they want to talk about training with you, where are you? How can they find you? What can they do? We're on most social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, websites. Um, yeah, just, just search uh, John Lynn's Martial Arts. Perfect. Um, and we'll, we'll come up or search my name and we'll, you know, I'll, I'll pop up in most places. Super. And uh, yeah, everyone's, everyone's welcome. Always well. And are you still online or do you do <clears throat> no, only no, no. so now? we we kind of gradually um went back to, to to normal classes. So now we're back full time in the in the academy. Yeah, yeah. Where's that located? Uh so we are in uh Colwyn Bay, which is based in North Wales. Oh wow. North Wales, yeah. So wow. we, we live in a little uh seaside seaside town. It's uh, it's very oh, nice. We yeah. We're very lucky. We've got everything. We've got the sea. We've got the mountains. We've got the lakes. It's it's a very beautiful place to live. Fantastic. I used to go to Rill to Haven. Yes. When I was a child. Yeah. So we're about fifteen minutes away from there. Oh my goodness. Sure, I know it. In, wow. In fact, um, my instructor John Lynn, um, who I was mentioning earlier, his dojo is in Rill. Uh, really. That's where he started it, and that's where he's been for the last. Uh, I don't know, 35 years. Oh, that's amazing. So, yeah. We did not talk about this, listeners, before we had this conversation. Oh, I loved it there. I have the best memories of Rill. What was the, the sun? Sun, the sun Center. something? The what Sun Center. Sun Center. Yeah. And they've, they've just refurbed it now. It's called um, SC2 now. So they've refurbed all the slides and everything. And now there's a laser, uh, like a, a ninja tag in there and all sorts. So yeah, you should. Oh, wow. I have nieces and nephews when they get to the appropriate age they will be going there with me most definitely I have one final question if I may which I ask people who come on to the podcast I think we just demonstrated it from my perspective anyway but what does connected communication mean to you? Oh disconnected that's a very good question um there is no right or wrong answer. It is mm. just Connected what comes from you. I don't, I don't know, really. I should have thought about this, really, before coming on. But uh, well, I'm sorry for landing it. No, it's OK. No, um, <laughs> connected communication uh, for, for me is, is, is feeling and words. Um, I think lots of things get lost in translation when you communicate via different forms of social media. So connection for me is is words. Um, I, I read a good quote the other day. I've actually got it in front of me. It says, uh, words have the power to create bridges and heal divides. Um, so, you know, that, that says all about connect, connect, connecting people, really, connecting communication. It does. It does. And you've said my keyword of the month. So many people I've spoken to this month have used the word bridge with me. It was mm-hmm. one of my, it's one, I think an, a word I really need to explore a little bit. One of my first jobs was as a bridge of communication. So very interesting. Yeah. Can, can you say that quote again? Communication can. Uh, yes. So uh, words have the power to create bridges and heal divides. Beautiful. Beautiful. Indeed, they do. Very powerful words from a very wise man. Thank you so, so much again. I really do appreciate you being here. Thank you very much, Christine. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. 
So listeners, that was Mark of John Lynn's Martial Arts with us today. I have loved our conversation. If you have too, or if you've taken away anything or learned anything, please do leave a review, follow, share, send messages, find either one of us on social media and let us know what you thought. Until next time, thanks for listening. Banak Ti, August Buigas. Thank you.